Welcome to Into Africa. My name is Mvemba Pezo Dizolele. I'm a senior fellow and the director of the Africa program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. This is a podcast where we talk everything Africa, politics, economics, security, and culture. Welcome. The United States has been engaging with Africa for years, long before the 1960s when most African countries gained the independence. Today, we have a framework that is very strong, which is defense, development, and diplomacy. And we saw this come to bear during the release of the Africa strategy back in August, when Secretary of State Antony Blinken launched the strategy in Pretoria, South Africa. The strategy itself is very significant because it stresses a couple points that Africans have come to appreciate. One is the emphasis on building partnerships with African countries. Two is respecting African agency. We live in a world of great power competition when Africans have a lot of choices, given that this is a multipolar world, which is very different from what we knew during the Cold War. In December, President Biden held the U.S.-Africa Leadership Summit, during which he reiterated his commitment to building strong partnerships with African countries. This year, the United States military has held a number of summits. There was the CHAD, the annual conference of African chiefs of defense, which was held in Rome, Italy, under the aegis of AFRICOM, U.S.-Africa Command. In March... The U.S. Naval Forces Europe slash Africa held the first ever inaugural summit, if we can call it so, the inaugural summit of African maritime security in Sao Capo Verde. This time around, in May, the U.S. Army, through SETAF, with the Southern Europe Task Force Africa, is holding the African Land Forces Summit in Abidjan, Côte d'Ivoire. Helping us understand why this summitry is important when it comes to the military is Major General Tad Wasmund, who is the commanding general of CITAF, again, the Southern Europe Task Force Africa. General, welcome to Into Africa. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on the uh, podcast this morning. So what is CETAF and what do you do to start with before we talk about the summit? I appreciate that very much. The Southern European Task Force Africa is a headquarters that is focused on army activities in Africa. We do three things. We are first responsible in support of uh, U.S. Africa Command for all of the army's operations, activities, and investments in Africa. The second thing that we do is we provide a crisis response capability that gives the combatant commander the flexibility to respond to crises on the continent. And the third thing that we do as the senior responsible officer and commander of U.S. Army forces located in Italy, we provide support to all of our soldiers, their families, our Department of the Army civilians, our Italian civilian employees. And so we we just provide life support to all of the uh, Army, U.S. Army personnel who are here in, in Italy. So it's a really interesting command. We are a part of a subordinate command as part of the U.S. Army Europe and Africa that is located in Wiesbaden, Germany. But as a part of U.S. Army Europe and Africa, we are solely focused on Army support to our partners in support of U.S. 
Africa Command in Stuttgart, Germany. So that's a lot to kind of put together, uh, but it's a really interesting command and provides lots of interesting opportunities for us. You consider yourself a hybrid unit. Seems like you're sitting at the intersection of Europe and Africa. I, I don't really. I, we are, as the name implies, the Southern European Task Force Africa, we are singularly focused on Africa. We do have a relationship with our European partners, for sure. But we are the army force responsible to support AFRICOM. And so I don't really think of us as a hybrid force, but we definitely report in two directions. One is through our army headquarters. That is U.S. Army Europe and Africa. And the other is to our joint headquarters, African Command. And it's their mission for which we exist. So you have two masters, huh? We do. And how do you prioritize in those cases? How do you, should we say, how do we align those priorities from the different commands above you? Yeah, that's a great question. Our priorities come very clearly from AFRICOM. And our relationship with U.S. Army Europe and Africa is one in which we certainly support the commander's priorities, but we also gain our support that enables us as an Army Force headquarters to provide support to AFRICOM. Our commander in U.S. Army Europe and Africa is also aligned in priority to support the AFRICOM commander. And so that relationship is really quite easy. We definitely do have two higher headquarters that we communicate with and report to. The third element of your work is, I mean, not necessarily in that order. You are called Task Force Africa. Africans will ask if it's a Task Force Africa, why are they in Europe? I think for our particular headquarters, that's mostly a consequence of history. Originally, the Southern European Task Force, before we were redesignated as CTAF Africa, we were created in 1955 for the purpose of providing support to stability in Europe after World War II. And so we were located south of the Alps. It gave the alliance a headquarters here that would foster relationships and contribute to stability in Europe from south of the Alps. Our roles have changed over the years. It's varied. There have been about six or eight different versions and priorities assigned to this headquarters. In 2008, we were designated as the Army Service Component Command in direct support to U.S. AFRICOM. That changed just about three years ago in 2020, where we were consolidated with U.S. Army Europe. And that headquarters was redesignated as the ASCC, the Army Service Component Command, that supports both UCOM, the European Command, and AFRICOM, Africa Command. But this headquarters was retained and designated CTAF Africa to provide a two-star headquarters that provides the capabilities that I described in direct support to AFRICOM. So that's how we ended up here. That's how our current mission has been defined most recently, but it's an evolution that started decades ago, more than 70 years ago, or almost 70 years ago. And so it's really a consequence of history, but it's, it's evolved as the relationships have also changed. We are in Abidjan. CTAF, your command, is hosting the African Land Forces Summit. From what I understand, this is the 11th iteration of this summit. Why do you host the Africa Land Forces Summit? What's the genesis of these proceedings? What do you expect to come out of it? The African Land Forces Summit is the largest security cooperation event that we host every year. I'm going to go back to one of your opening comments about 
the long history of support and relationships that the U.S. has with our African partners. And one of the things that you highlighted that's really important to us is the African Leaders Summit that President Biden hosted in December, because that really underscores the importance of our relationship with our partners in Africa. He said a really important thing, and that is that the United States is all in on Africa and all in with Africa. This summit gives us an opportunity with all of its participants. We have invited 40 African partners, and we have, as you know, because you were there, we have 300 participants in the summit. And what it allows us to do is reinforce our approach to our partnerships in Africa. And that is that all of our activities in Africa are partner-led and U.S.-enabled. And so that requires us to have an informed dialogue with each of our partners. In a forum like this, the African Land Forces Summit allows us to have a dialogue with each of our partners and with, with our partners together so that we can better understand what their priorities are, what their security challenges are, and how we can best align our capabilities and resources to help achieve our shared interests with each country and within each region within the expansive continent of Africa. How do you then select the participant? You mentioned 40 countries. When the president says we are all in in Africa and all in with Africa, so how do we leave some out? That's a great question. There are periods where some of our partners in Africa go through cycles of turbulence or instability. You'll be familiar that recently in two countries, as an example, Burkina Faso and Mali both underwent a, a disruptive change of government. And so we are very cognizant and we work very closely with the State Department and with the Department of Defense to make sure that as we partner with, with each of our partners, not only in Africa, but worldwide, that we partner with our partners who are best able to support and are committed to supporting, upholding the values that we think are really important to the U.S. and that we would want to partner with those countries that share those values. And so there are periods of time when some of our partners are challenged to do that. And so we work with them through these periods of instability so that we can restart those partnerships where they, where they have been disrupted. And so in some cases, those partners do not participate because of that period of instability. But our State Department, and you mentioned the 3D approach, our State Department leads those efforts on a diplomatic level to try and reestablish those relationships so that we can pursue the other two elements of that national strategy in development in order to develop their governmental processes, their economic systems, their culture, their values, so that we can also then reinforce that effort with the third dimension, which is in defense. And that becomes the military relationship that we are really focused on at ALFS. When I look at the history of ALFS, the Africa Land Forces Summit, you've hosted this event since 2010. You've hosted it in Washington, you've hosted it in Addis Ababa, in Gaberon, in Botswana, in Abuja, Nigeria, Lilongwe, Arusha, Dakar, Senegal. Looks like you have alternated quite a bit, or actually mostly just held it in Africa. How do we select those countries and why this time we are in Abidjan, Cote d'Ivoire? That is a great question, and it's it's actually a, an interesting process by which we we choose. We definitely make an effort to rotate regionally and between countries so that we can we can introduce each of our partners and our team 
from CTAF Africa. We have this year five European partners in Brazil who are participating in, in ALFS. And so rotating it between regions and countries allows us to introduce each of the participants to the unique culture, to the heritage, to the countries where we host ALFs, and it gives each other exposure so we gain better appreciation for each of our partners. Uh, last year, we hosted it in the U.S. That gave us an opportunity to introduce our partners to the way that we approach readiness and develop the capabilities of our forces uh, so that they could see a model as they seek to invest in capabilities to train their own forces and to achieve readiness. And so this year is in, in Abidjan, Cote d'Ivoire. It's aligned very closely with U.S. AFRICOM's priority uh, for West Africa. It is our top priority right now to maintain stability and security in the region. And so we try to choose locations uh, that are aligned with the priorities of AFRICOM. And so we're really excited to be in Abidjan right now and grateful for Cote d'Ivoire, Major General Dem and the Minister of Defense for allowing us to conduct this, this summit in Abidjan. Cote d'Ivoire, Abidjan, where we are, is also sits on the littoral state. Countries that have become on, in the purview of the United States priorities, particularly dealing with the Sahelian pressures, right, through the Global Fragility Act. We have pressures from the Sahel, which has been, you mentioned, countries that are going to turbulence. A lot of the countries in the Sahel, in fact, all the countries in Sahel are faced this turbulence. But those pressures are coming to bear down on the coastal states, what we call the littoral states. Where does that stand within the framework of your engagement with this part of the world, since we are in Abidjan? It's really important. Those countries that sit along the Gulf of Guinea are really in a difficult situation right now with the instability in the Sahel. And a real priority for us is to protect the borders of those countries that border the Sahel and work with each of those partners to make sure that we achieve their security interests. It's interesting. We talk about those countries and they are all situated along, as littoral states, situated along the Gulf of Guinea, but each of them has a slightly different perspective and national interest. And it gets back to why we hold a summit like ALFS, because it brings together those countries. It's not a monolith. Each of those countries has a different view. And so a forum like ALFS enables us to share those and share those different perspectives and help to develop strategies to achieve their security objectives. So being in Abidjan is, is actually very timely. Some of the situations that have occurred in the Sahel over the course of the last year have occurred since we made the decision to go to Abidjan. And so it's actually just very fortunate right now that we are in the very region where we are focused on maintaining security and prosperity for those, those countries who are situated there. One of dimension of U.S. military engagement or defense and security engagement in Africa has been exercises, joint exercise. So Flintlock, African Lion, Justify Accord, Cutlass Express, medical readiness exercise, the MedRex, and so on. So that has provided, I presume, a platform, if we can call an exercise a platform, of countries engaging with each other, be it in the kinetic, certainly in the kinetic way. The platform, a platform like ALFS allows this journal, I presume, to engage with each other in ways that doesn't always come handily to them. Africa is a big place, 54 countries. They're in different side of this continent. If you're in Djibouti or in Guinea, those are two different worlds in, in, in many ways. Is that also part of the goal that you're driving? 
Thank you. And I, I think your use of the word platform is perfect because it does provide us a platform to work toward achieving the objectives that each of our partner nations has for their their capabilities and also their capacity. So an exercise that is coming up this summer is African Lion. It is a multinational exercise. It is hosted in five different locations in Africa, uh, Morocco, Tunisia, Ghana, and Senegal, and also in Djibouti, which is regionally very far away from the other four locations for African Lion. But in each of those locations, the countries who participate, and there are 40 different countries that participate, I think there are 8,000 participants in the exercise uh, distributed across each of those countries. But it allows us to bring together those countries to achieve increased ability to work together in a way that we talk about. We use the word interoperability. And we, we focus on the, at the military level, their forces working together with shared technology, shared procedures, relationships. It's interesting as we go to these exercises and we see our partners who we've trained with before, those relationships are, are instantly rekindled when we show up together. And so in each of those dimensions of interoperability, we gain improved ability to achieve security objectives. And really, as you just expressed, Africa is a very, very large continent. And so each of those locations is designed to focus on the partners in each of those regions, because that's really who each of those countries would depend on to achieve their objectives. None of them could do it on their own. And so their their immediate partner would be those who are also in the same region. And so this exercise is designed to do just that. Interoperability has become a big keyword in uh, almost every platform, every discussion when we talk about armed forces. You've been uh, doing this business for a while now as a career officer, now working with the leading the task force uh, over there in Vincenza, Italy. What is your assessment of the African security landscape and how does it fit overall in what you're trying to achieve? You've addressed that a little bit tangentially, but kind of if we were to look at it frontally, how do you see this landscape? Wow, that's a broad question. I'd have to go on a tour around the the map of Africa and describe each of the regions differently. Each of the regions and countries is faced by different challenges. I think we find shared interest in each of the regions and countries. Each of the countries has a different challenge with the threats that might put at risk their security. Clearly, there's a VEO threat in different regions of the country represented by different terrorist organizations or violent extremist organizations. Some countries are confronted by challenges of political instability, and some enjoy great stability. But in each case, we focus on the unique situation and the objectives and the capabilities of each partner to achieve their objectives. Some of them have more developed capabilities that they've developed on their own. Some of them have more nascent capabilities, but each of them shares a, and expresses an interest in the U.S. As a, as a reliable partner. We offer them reliability. We offer them a values-based proposition. And so each of them is in a different place. There's a path to follow for, for each of our partners 
and we're really encouraged by the commitment of each of them uh, to work together to achieve our, our shared interest. As we look at the shared interest of the United States uh, and uh, the African partners, what are the greatest needs and ask of African militaries, and what are your greatest challenges that you encounter within that engagement with Africa? So there are several, several things that we focus on at the request of our partners. One certainly is buying and developing uh, equipment and capabilities that they would need in order to provide capability to their forces. And so we do that through our country teams and, and try to make sure that they've got the, the best available equipment according to their priorities. The next thing that we do, and, and it's really where the exercises come in, and that is training. Our African partners are all very, very focused on developing training strategies and programs, exercises in order to achieve their objectives. And they are absolutely fantastic to train with because they're so focused on it. And then one of the things that we'll discuss in ALFS this year, it's been a conversation for a while And as I've spent the last year, 10 months or so in this job, I'm continually impressed and encouraged by our partner's interest in developing a non-commissioned officer corps uh, that provides real leadership and direction to their forces to achieve readiness. And we're very, very proud in the U.S. military of our non-commissioned officer corps. They're professionals. They are leaders. They are experts in everything that they do. And our military would not function well without them. And the Army, we talk about them as the backbone of the U.S. Army. And so we're trying to inculcate uh, the institutions that are essential to developing an NCO Corps. Uh, we are endeavoring to support their interest in a training program and a model to develop their NCOs, but then also to share with them the culture of empowerment that we have, that we enjoy with our non-commissioned officers. It's a long-standing tradition in our military in the U.S., and it takes some cultural change in some cases in order to reap the real benefits that our non-commissioned officers are able to provide to a professional military. So talking about the NCO Corps, uh, which is obviously, like you described the journal, as the backbone of uh, different armed forces, that has been a weak link in a lot of African countries. Are we, meaning the United States, you, not me, are you proposing specific programs With for NCO academies around the continent, are they regional project or do you take this country by country? So I think it really is country by country because each country is in a different place in the development of their military, the development of their non-commissioned officer corps. And so we meet each of our partners where they are and we help them to develop that capability based on the path that they're prepared to follow. We share with them the example of our NCO Corps just last September. We have a smaller version of the African Land Forces Summit called the uh, African Land Forces Colloquium. And that brings together eight or 10 of our African partners. We hosted that in Grafenbeer, Germany. One of the featured stops was the non-commissioned officer academy there uh, that is commanded, led by a command sergeant major. And each of our partners expressed real, real interest. And they were just enthralled with what the NCO Academy does. And they want to export that in a variety of ways, either build an NCO Academy, have our cadre go to their country and share with them the programs of instruction and the training models that they use. But it's interesting because the 
having an NCO Academy is not the same as having an NCO core. What makes our NCO core work is the culture of our military. Every person who joins our military is first met by a non-commissioned officer, and that's where our training begins. And so we accept from the beginning that our NCOs are leaders, and we trust them to teach us and to train us, and that happens throughout our careers. And that's something we'll illustrate as a part of ALFS this year is that the relationship between officers and non-commissioned officers is one that is vital and it's inseparable. And without that relationship, we will not be successful as a military. And so we try to model that and share that with our partners, And but we meet each of them where they are. Speaking of culture, culture typically goes with history and the history of African countries, uh, militaries, is such as their extension of the old colonial forces. And colonial forces had very tough relationships with civilian population. They were forces of the colonies, so their job or their mission was to subjugate the civilian population. Today, a lot of the conflict that Africa faces are expressions of a failure in one form or another of the social contract. This means that the relationship between the armed forces, which are the descendants of these colonial forces that I'm talking about, and the civilian population is not at the best. Not at all. So I saw that uh, we have a lot of civil affairs people here. Are we also working, again, you, not me, working on building strong civil-military relations? Because in the same way that the NCO Corps is the backbone of the armed forces, an armed force that is not linked to the civilian population is definitely bound to fail. It's definitely performing outside the, the rounds of the expectations of the populations. Yes, I think I agree with you. That relationship, the civil-military relationship is really important. And I appreciate the history that, that affects that relationship in, in many of the African countries. I would start by saying that the relationship that we focus on is one of trust. It's one of the reasons I I believe or I hope that we, the United States, are the partner of choice of our African partners. And it's because we represent and we try to demonstrate our values, our relationship between in the United States, between our military and our civilian leadership is one that is a, a foundation of of how we operate. And we try to make sure that that relationship is, is also reflected in the civil-military relations in our, in our African partners. It's one of the reasons why sometimes that some of our country, some of our African partners don't participate in events like ALFs, because sometimes that relationship can be called into question. And we want to make sure that we are not incentivizing a civil-military relationship in our partners that would not reflect those values. And so that is a, it's a foundation of what we, what we share with our partners and what we try to reinforce. And that is why our civil military or our civil affairs uh, units are so important to reinforcing these relationships in the engagements that we have with each of our partners. In these relationships, General, you talked about the U.S. being the partner of choice. This presupposes choice, right? Presupposes the agency of the Africans to, to go one way or another. We are in what, again, this is a Western construct, what we call now in the West great power competition. 
what presupposes that, what that presupposes is that these Africans have a plethora of choices they have to make. You have competitors, uh, the middle powers, the great powers who are vying for space in Africa. How does this competition shape U.S.-Africa engagement in the defense and security space? So I think with respect to competition, we, we don't presuppose that the choice for our partners is binary. We recognize that our partners are free to choose the relationships that they will pursue, even if those relationships are with our competitors. When they are making those decisions about how they're going to interact with other partners, we try to stay steadfast in what we offer to our partners, and that is a values-based proposition. And that is why our partners continually return to the United States as a partner of choice. They find that over time, the value that they find in, in partnering with United States diplomats and members of the military from Department of State and Department of Defense, they find that those relationships are reliable and they can count on us to be good partners to help them achieve their interests and interests that we interests that we share with their African partners because we we recognize the tremendous value and potential of each of our partners and so we think that's really important uh, to recognize. It's not a binary choice for them and and I think that's that would be a, an inappropriate way for us to approach it in our conversations with our partners. The summit will eventually end and uh, these generals go home. What, from your standpoint, what should be the takeaways from them and for you? What do we all take home when we live here? What we should take away from the summit is a renewed sense of purpose and a renewed commitment to achieving our shared interests. It's hard. Africa is such a diverse place and it has so much potential. The challenges that we are all working together to overcome are not challenges that will be solved in the short term. I like to talk within our headquarters that that this is a long game. This is a this relationship that we have with each of our partners in Africa is one that requires long-term commitment and consistency. And so the relationship that we have with our partners is one that must reflect that that we will be with our African partners today, and we will be with our partners in Africa tomorrow. And that's a really important message that I think is, it kind of permeates the conversations that we have. As they go home and they take away what you just described, General, what do you look forward to the next summit, the ALS next year? And do you know where that will be? I do. Thank you for asking. We are excited that we are announcing that this year's African Land Forces Summit we will host the next African Land Forces Summit with our partners in Zambia. Zambia is a terrific partner with great potential and aspirations, and they are going to be terrific co-hosts for African Land Forces Summit 24. And we hope that we will achieve the, a similar outcome there, and that is to continue and to strengthen our commitment to one another uh, as we pursue our shared interests. General, on that note, I'd like to thank you for joining me on Into Africa today. Thank you for your perspectives and insight. We appreciate you. Good luck with the summitry. Thanks very much. And I look forward to seeing you tomorrow night when I'm able to join the African Land Forces Summit. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening. We want to have more conversations about Africa. Tell your friends. Subscribe to our podcast at Apple Podcasts. You can also read our analysis and report at csis.org slash Africa. So long.